I want to focus your thoughts for a little time this evening on verses 44 and 45. Let me just take a moment to read these two verses again. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Well, just bow for a moment for prayer. O God, our gracious Father, even now draw near to us. This is thy word. I can't preach it without the help of God. I need thee to come. I need the anointing of God. I need fresh oil in my vessel. Pray for words that thou thyself will give me. Pray that tonight the presence of God will be felt. That we might realize that we're human beings. We're passing swiftly, briefly through this old sin-cursed world to eternity. Destination can only be one of two places. The Bible differentiates heaven or hell. We pray that I will prove to be a faithful servant of thee tonight in preaching the word fearlessly with a humble heart, with a compassionate heart, with that enabling of the Spirit of God. It gives a preacher no delight to tell men they're on their way to hell. They would rather know that men and women were on their way to heaven. And so here these are prayers and remember us now and just send the hush, the hush of heaven, the hush of God upon us tonight for Jesus' sake. Amen. The darkness that is mentioned here in Luke chapter 23 in these two verses is the first of the signs or miracles that accompanied the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. The others were the rending of the veil of the temple, the great earthquake, the opening of the graves, and the resurrection of many of the saints who had died. But first of all, there was this three hours of darkness. And they're linked directly to the crucifixion and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now each of these signs, in its own special way, elucidates the meaning and the purpose of the sufferings of the Lamb of God. Together they safeguard the truth of our deliverance through his sacrificial death by the shedding of his blood on Calvary's cross. J.C. Ryle said, It was right that the attention of all around Jerusalem should be arrested in a marked way when the great sacrifice for sin was being offered and the Son of God was dying. There was a sign for an unbelieving world darkness at midday which would compel men to think. And as we look at this scene before us, the darkest day in history, I trust that you will be compelled by the Spirit to look to Calvary, to look to the cross, and to look to Christ. I have three simple things that I want to highlight about this darkness. 
First of all, there is the scope of the darkness. Now, by the time the Lord, the darkness descended, the Lord Jesus Christ had been on the cross for three long hours. You just can imagine the agony and the suffering. He'd been through a terrible night of abuse, and now he's on the cross, kneeled there for three hours, from about 9 a.m. in the morning until 12 noon. Luke says, at the sixth hour, darkness covered the land. Darkness started at midday when the sun was at its brightest. So Christ was in the light for three hours, and then for three hours he was in the darkness. And the three gospel writers tell us that the darkness lasted from six, the sixth hour until the ninth hour. Now some believe that this was an eclipse of the sun. The difficulty with that is that darkness continued for three long hours. That removes any possibility of a solar eclipse. Since the longest eclipse of the sun lasts for only a few minutes. Moreover, the darkness occurred at the Passover season, which was always celebrated during the time of the full moon, when an eclipse was impossible. The only proper answer is that this was a miraculous sign. I, I firmly believe that, that it was a miraculous sign. The, the creator who placed the sun in its place intervened in nature and caused this to happen. It was a supernatural darkness. Now, the interesting thing to notice is this. There was a miraculous light when his arrival was announced. Remember, in the fields outside Bethlehem, the shepherds were watching their sheep at nighttime. And then there was a sudden appearance of the angel and a great light shone. And so it's interesting that there was a miraculous light when his arrival was announced, Luke chapter 2, you can find those verses for yourself. Now there is a supernatural darkness when his atonement was accomplished. It's also interesting to note that three days of darkness preceded the first Passover in Egypt and the death of the Paschal Lamb for God's ancient people, the children of Israel, Exodus chapter 10. And now when Jesus Christ God's lamb was on the cross. Three hours of darkness preceded his death for his people. Warren Wearsby wrote in one of his commentaries, it was as though all nature was sympathizing with the creator as he suffered and died. Now Luke says that the darkness was over all the earth. And Matthew in his account says it was over all the land, Matthew twenty-seven forty-five. Some think this was limited only to the land of Israel or just an area around Jerusalem. They say that it was an example of the kind of thick darkness that God sent upon Egypt for three days. In that case, centuries before, only Goshen, where the Israelites lived, had light in their dwellings. Exodus chapter 10, 23. Now, the Greek noun that is used may refer to either the earth or a region of the earth. But the context demands that we understand this darkness as being universal. 
Luke explains the reason for the darkness in verse 45. He says the sun was darkened, or literally, the sun was failing. Or we could also translate it, the sun stopped shining. And this implies that the darkness came suddenly. And the cause of the darkness lay in the sun's failing to shine. So that the entire part of the earth that should have been (coughs) in daylight was plunged into darkness. Now, we have got daylight here. (coughs) In another part, there will be darkness. So where there is darkness, there will be another part that's light. And so if the sun stops shining, that's what we're led to believe here, then the whole earth would have been plunged into darkness, the whole earth, because the sun has failed. (coughs) The sun is no longer shining, it failed. Spurgeon put it this way, it was midnight at midday, and the darkness was so intense, it was so intense that it smothered the light. The sun simply failed to shine. It was darkness at noontime. God was working. This was a supernatural darkness. God was in the thing. He was behind it all. When the sun should have been at its zenith, no one was allowed to see the Lord Jesus Christ as he suffered for sin. God protected that from the gaze of the onlookers. And what Christ had to face, he had to face alone. And in that darkness, he took the sins of all of his people and he suffered there in the darkness alone. So God took away the sunshine (coughs) and God created the darkness or allowed the darkness to come to hide the suffering Christ from gaze. These three hours were intense. They were unforgettable. Thomas Watson said, the sun seemed to be struck blind with astonishment and nature put itself into a funeral garb as if the sent creatures durst not show their glory while Christ was suffering. Here's the scope of the darkness. It covered the whole world, covered the whole earth. God was displeased by sin. God was judging sin. And God hid the suffering of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, from the gaze of sinful men for whom Christ was dying on that little cross on Calvary's brow. Then we've got to move on and think about the significance of the darkness. It was noontime. Sun was high in the sky when suddenly total darkness fell over the scene. And you can imagine an eerie silence descended I lived in Florida for 14 years and we did see many hurricanes, not as bad as the one recently. But I can tell you something, you're sitting in front of the radio, you're seeking to follow their guidance and they say now it will be another 35 minutes before the tornado or the hurricane is over your area. You're sitting watching move the TV to get directions and suddenly the power goes off. You're left in the darkness. You don't light candles. You get battery tor- you get torches. Set them on the table to shine up. You, know, you don't want the candle to fall over and set the place on fire. And then there's that eerie silence. Everybody just falls silent. And they can hear the storm coming in the distance. The roar is frightening. 
and it gets closer and closer, and you're wondering what's going to happen. And then suddenly it's above you. You think the roof is going to be lifted off. You can hear things outside. Cars are being overturned. 40-foot containers are being blown over. Trees are falling. The power's out. And you just thank God when it passes by. You can hear it as it continues on into the distance. You dare not go out. You wait until it's clear. You look out the door, you can see the devastation. You wonder how you survive. Oh, now we see this darkness. It descends, sudden darkness. There's an eerie silence over the whole scene. The narrative speaks the word darkness, and then it goes silent. Then according to Matthew 27, verse 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried. Listen, listen to what he cried. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We cannot really plummet the depths of what is meant here. How can God forsake God the Son? But he forsook Christ and his humanity because he became a man to suffer sin for his people on Calvary's cross. And in that sense, the Lord Jesus Christ felt forsaken by the Father in his humanity. He's the God-man and he's suffering for sinners and he's suffering now in great agony upon the tree in the darkness. And the hours between uh, 12 noon and 3 p.m. are blank, or blank page in the story. But why would God have sent such darkness on the earth? One reason has the clear support of Scripture. The darkness provided a powerful sign, a powerful sign that God was acting in judgment. For in Scripture, darkness is a frequent sign of judgment. Joel says in chapter 2 of his book, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Christ said, after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man, Matthew 24. And hell is described as what? The place of outer darkness. Can you imagine it now, right now, as you're hearing the gospel, as you're hearing the word of salvation, as God has given to you the opportunity to believe the gospel, there are people right now tormented in the darkness, eternal darkness. They'll never see light again. They'll never be released. They'll never come forth. They'll never have a good day. They'll never see the light of the sun again. They're lost. It's outer darkness, Matthew 8, verse 12. This is not something I've made up. This is not something our church and denomination has invented to scare people. No, this has been revealed in the Holy Scripture by God himself. And he's warning men and women the world over tonight about this awful place, this darkness, this outer darkness. Peter says that the angels that fell, oh, angels fell, led by Lucifer, and they are reserved in chains of darkness until the final judgment, Second Peter 2 4 and 17. And the darkness showed that God was working in judgment. He was pouring out his wrath against sin laid on his son. Understand this. He was pouring wrath out upon the sin laid on his son. His son was holy, infinitely holy, perfect without sin. Yet God was judging sin laid to his account on the behalf of his people. 
given in the eternal covenant of redemption. Pardon from God and peace with God could only be secured through his death on the cross. That's why he endured the darkness. That's why he entered into the darkness for those three hours. Can you imagine in that period of time he literally suffered hell on behalf of his people in those three dark hours. He therefore suffered the agony and darkness of hell for those for whom he died. He knew that he was paying for their sins. He knew that he was ransoming them. He was involved in the rescue of them. He was bearing their sorrows and their sins and their judgment and their condemnation. What a saviour. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. There's not a saviour like him who delivers from sin, who sets men free in spite of often being refused and rejected. He still comes in mercy again and again with the good news that Jesus saves, inviting, calling, pleading with men to come And yet men are so hard and women are so stubborn in their sin. They will not believe. They will not accept the good advice and heed the good advice. They continue on enjoying the things of this life until suddenly it will come to an end and then they will be launched into outer darkness forever. No reprieve, no way out, no more chances, no more opportunities. When the end comes, that's it. Then for eternity, lost in the darkness forever. The darkness also was God's announcement. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The first three sayings spoken by the Lord Jesus were done so in the first three hours. The four remaining sayings were uttered in quick succession just before he died. And between them, he said nothing. As if Beneath that intense darkness, a great horror shadowed his soul. Hell lay to his account, suffering, separation from God, the agony, the extreme pain and suffering on behalf of his people. What a savior. The taunts and the insults stop as the frightened crowd experiences this supernatural darkness. They tremble at the mysterious connection of this to his cross. They had never experienced anything like it before. Now there's no vile language. Now there's no jeering. Only horror and amazement, fear and suspense. Can you see it? Maybe not because of the darkness. They don't know what to do. They don't know what's happening. They're amazed. They're trembling. They're fearful. The children are crying. Mommy, what's this? Daddy, what's this? The wife clutches onto her husband. What's happening, dear? What is this? I wonder how many of them realized it was God at work. This was the darkest day in history. But in a sense, the most blessed day because a substitute was found to redeem a people from going to hell, to ransom them, to set them gloriously free and to bring them into that place of heaven. Three hours of darkness and silence was a divine pause designed to arrest attention. 
The centurion and those around about were terrified, Matthew 27, and they beat their breasts and went away. Luke chapter 23. They're astonished. Their breath was taken away. What is this? What's going on here? God was at work in the darkness. It was his purpose to draw attention to himself and his actions by performing a miracle that was contrary to the laws of nature. A silent suffering ended after these three hours in the darkness as they reached the climax. The darkness was banished. There's a scope of the darkness, the significance of the darkness. And then finally, there's the sermon of the darkness. God's judgment is not falling on guilty sinners. The crowds have gathered around the cross. Many are mocking his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his agony. They're rejoicing as they see this man agony, agonizing on the tree. Thorn crowned brow, spittle on his face, his hands impaled to an old rugged cross. His feet are impaled there as well. He's bleeding in agony. He's prayed a few times. There he is. What a spectacle to behold. The soldiers have done their part. The leaders are glad. They're happy that it's all over. But God does not strike them down dead. God does not strike them down in his wrath. He could have done so. And he would have been just to do that. But he didn't execute them. No, at Calvary, judgment falls on the sun. Can you imagine what that meant to God the Father to send this judgment upon his own darling son, the darling of his bosom from eternity, the spotless, holy Lamb of God, who never offended anybody, who never did anything of a harmful nature, deeds of kindness, missions of mercy, healing, preaching, teaching, comforting the lost, bringing salvation to many troubled hearts. He did not deserve this. Yet wrath falls upon him in our place. The Bible does say, God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Romans 8.32 Darkness shrouded at Sinai when God gave the law. Remember when the law was given to Moses, Sinai was shrouded with darkness. And now darkness surrounded Golgotha as Christ paid the penalty of that broken law and so delivered us from its curse. The curse of the law demands punishment. And for each sinner out of Christ, that punishment is an eternity in hell. But through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, through what he did, how he interposed himself on the behalf of his people, that deals with wrath against us and liberates our souls and sets us free by grace so that we never have to endure that because he took our place <coughs> in death and judgment. J.C. Ryle said, There were signs and wonders wrought in the sight of all Israel. When the law was given at Sinai, in like manner there were signs and wonders when the atoning blood of Christ was shed on Calvary. 
Thus the darkness sounds out the word of grace. Grace, grace, grace. Amazing grace. Astounding grace. Atoning grace. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Ivor Powell was a great Welsh preacher. This is what he said. I like to think that God was preaching. The darkness of a world sin had hidden the radiance of his lovely face. Yet after three hours of gloom, the sun arose, as it were, from the grave. When the Lord Jesus Christ told people he came to save them, they were offended. Are you offended through the gospel? I think if we are faithful to God and preach the gospel, people will be offended. We can't uh, coat it with sugar in any way. We've got to be honest and tell you the truth as it is in the word of God because we care for your souls. And maybe you are offended through the gospel. Well, that's sad. But the gospel is designed to bring you to repentance because God cares and God wants to redeem you and have you with him in heaven for for eternity. When he said, I am the son of God, they took up the stones to stone him. They said unto him on a number of occasions, show us a sign from heaven, Matthew 16, verse 1, for example. That's what they demanded. But now the thing they had demanded has been given, but yet they would not believe. And when the darkness was finally finished, because he had passed through it, Christ said, listen to it, with a loud voice. He's not defeated. He still has energy. He still has strength. With a loud voice, he cries, it is finished. It is finished. Praise be the name of the Lord. Because during those hours of darkness, man's redemption had been accomplished. It had been finished. So this was the word uh, of the son reporting to his father that the job that had been given to him in eternity was finished. It was completed. It meant mission accomplished. So the son is crying out to his father now, Father! The work given to me in eternity is finished now. Mission accomplished. I've done it. I've succeeded. And all heaven rejoices. There's great praise in heaven resounding for the Lamb in the midst of the throne because he is triumphed gloriously over hell, Satan, and sin. He's a wonderful Savior, all powerful, all glorious, a mighty Redeemer. Hallelujah. Able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. But at the same time, he will be a fearful judge when all men stand before him. There'll be no smart people in that day. No insolent people there. The judge of all the earth will look down and say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye cursed. The Bible does say there shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Listen, think about it. Will you hear that word? Depart from me, ye cursed. I, I don't know who you are. Just imagine turning away and going out into the darkness forever. And God tonight is calling you through the gospel. He's saying tonight, believe. He's saying tonight, come. He's saying tonight, repent. And rejoice in your salvation. This is a glorious truth. Christ has accomplished the work of redemption. 
freely for his people, Calvary's cross. It tells us now there's no condemnation to them that are in Jesus Christ. When God dealt with his son in the deep darkness at Calvary, he exhausted his wrath against the sins of his people. And sometimes we sing, Jesus paid it all. Let it sing, and Jesus paid it all. All the fierce wrath of God, all the fierceness of hell was condensed into those three hours in the cross in the darkness. And there the Lord Jesus Christ suffered the just for the unjust to bring his nigh to God. That's why every believing child will never have to face hell, never have to face condemnation because Jesus paid it all. He took it all. He endured it all. He suffered for it all. He left no wrath for any of his people to bear. That's good news, is it not? That's great news. That's glorious news. Hallelujah. And to prove it, he rose again from the dead. Then crying out for the last time, he addresses his father again. And he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And the Lord voluntarily yielded up his spirit. It wasn't taken from him. He yielded it up when the time came at the exact moment. He yielded himself up and died. No one took away his life. He gave it. He voluntarily yielded up and died. And God was indicating by the darkness, the awful price of redemption to save his people from outer darkness, that God spared not his son, his only son. Though he was personally sinless because he bare our sins in his own body on the tree. That should make every sinner shudder. For it tells us that God will judge sin wherever he finds it. And for those in Christ, the darkness of judgment is past. But for those who reject Christ, the outer darkness awaits. I've mentioned this already. I want to solemnize your heart now I want you to think seriously about this thing you could experience it tonight you could experience it in the early hours of Monday morning you could be in hell this time next week forever and God in mercy is calling you right now through the gospel through the preaching of the gospel he's saying to you trust me Flee to Christ tonight. Get under the atoning blood of the Lamb and experience what it is to be delivered uh, from darkness into his marvelous light. The first time darkness is mentioned in the Bible as Genesis 1 verse 2. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. Then we're told in the next verse, then the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. It speaks of the creative activity of the Spirit. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the verb created refers to the instantaneous and miraculous act of God by which he brought the universe into being. Only the divine work of the Spirit of God can give Life and light spiritually. Mankind is born in darkness. Men are born in darkness. And they go through life in darkness. And they will continue right on to eternity in outer darkness unless they repent and believe the gospel. 
And as the Spirit of God moved in the initial creation, as God wrought by His Spirit and dealt with the darkness to bring light, so today by the Spirit of God, working in your heart through faith, He can bring you out of the nature's darkness and the condemnation and the wrath that you're under and give you light and liberty and joy and peace and forgiveness and then a home in heaven at the end of the journey of life. What about it tonight? You thought about it? You maybe have been very near occasions through the preaching of the gospel. Some family member has witnessed to you. You've actually wept in your presence, pleading with you to come. But still you refuse. The Lord's here. The Lord, the great Savior of sinners, is here. Willing to save all those who believe. All those who come to him. By the way of repentance and faith. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Oh, you may say, preacher, I could never keep it. I, I, just, I, I just don't think I can do it. Well, the one who saves is able to keep and it's kept some of us for many, many years, 50, 60 years. We've had our failures and shortcomings, but he remains faithful. And we have confidence tonight, if it's absent from the body, it will be present with the Lord. What is your hope? What is your hope? Where will you be a hundred years from now? A thousand years from now? Where will you be? Still in existence? Heaven or hell? Heaven or hell, that's it. Christ is the way. The way to hell, just continue on the way you're going. And you'll come there. Turn, repent of your sins, believe the gospel, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. If I can be of any help to anyone tonight, I'm your servant. For Christ's sake, I can point you, as I have been doing during the service, to Christ and Christ alone. That's my hope. May he be your hope. We'll close now in prayer. Father, we do pray that thou will bless thy word that has gone forth tonight. In Jesus' name, use it for thy glory. Let it sink into needy hearts even now, right now, blessed Holy Spirit, apply that word and give men and women, boys and girls, young people, the grace to seek the Lord while he may be found, ere it is forever too late, ere they cross over the deadline and perish forever. Now may the grace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon all of God's believing people now and forevermore. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.